We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. What's going on, everyone? Thanks for tuning in to another episode of the Ducks Dish podcast. I'm your host, Max Torres, and today we are rolling with another live show. If you guys are watching us on YouTube, you can find us at Oregon Football Max Torres. Leave us a comment and a question. Uh, Amid all this realignment chaos, uh, I wanted to get a UCLA perspective, UCLA angle uh, on everything that's been going down. And to do that, I am joined by my friend Sam Conan who is the publisher of All Bruins uh, and is the you know partner with, with Fan Nation, part of the Sports Illustrated Network. Sam, how you doing? Thanks for being here. Yeah, thanks for having me on, Max. Can't wait to talk uh, all the wild, crazy realignment stuff that's going on. It is certainly wild and crazy. Those are some uh, great words to describe what's going on. Uh, so just to kind of lay out our plans a little bit for today's show, uh, yesterday was a big show, a big day for uh, the Ducks landing the commitment of Rainier Beach cornerback Caleb Presley. So we got tons of coverage breaking down that commitment over on Ducks Digest. Also had an awesome live show uh, podcast on the Ducks Dish podcast with my guy Graham Metzger. So definitely give that a listen. And then along the lines of realignment, we also had an awesome chat with Brian Driscoll of Irish Breakdown to really get us up to speed on where Notre Dame stands in the grand scheme of things and why they ultimately have a ton of leverage in this uh, realignment saga. But uh, yeah, Sam, starting off, uh, just wanted to, to kind of get your reaction and some of your early thoughts here, immediate thoughts on UCLA and, and USC, but particularly UCLA heading to the Big Ten. Yeah, it's been uh, almost a week now since the news first broke, and I feel like the shock has kind of gone away, and everyone's kind of been able to be a little more analytical about it. And from my perspective, I think it's just a really good thing for UCLA. Uh, college football landscape and college sports as a whole are, are obviously changing a lot day by day, and you know that 10 years from now, the landscape's not going to be the same as, as it was 10 days ago. And it, it's better for UCLA to get ahead of that uh, and they probably have USC to thank for being more proactive in this situation and, and then looping UCLA in on this and, and getting them in on, on the action uh, because it, it's, it checks off a lot of boxes for UCLA who's facing financial troubles uh, and with the new media deal that the Big Ten's going to get, that'll pretty much be solved right away the second they get there. And relevance problems, even though UCLA had a recovery season last year, um, 
the Pac-12 doesn't have the best uh, visibility nationally, so it's very regional. And then if UCLA is not playing great, then LA won't really care too much. So it, getting to a bigger national stage is huge for football. It's huge for men's basketball. Getting the money is really big. Getting the security for all the teams on campus is really big. So yeah, you lose a bit of the tradition and it's really going to be weird. It's it's never going to feel right to say that UCLA is in the Big Ten, but it, when you look at the decision makers at UCLA, they, they didn't really have any other choice. This was the obvious move for them once it came to be. I want to stay on the, the relevance topic here for a second because UCLA was one of the founding member institutions of the Pac-12, which is why I feel this move caught so many people by surprise and is still even, like you said, about a week later, still really weird to say and just kind of wrap your, your head around. Um, so UCLA and USC are obviously tied at the hip with this. UCLA is, is coming off of uh, an 8-4 and four season in, uh, on the, the gridiron on the field of competition with football under Chip Kelly, and, and football is obviously driving this whole thing. Um, so I feel like it's kind of an interesting spot right now because UCLA, if you're just comparing them to USC, they are coming off of obviously a stronger season. USC went four and eight, um, and they got some, some big wins. I think most notably over LSU, which, which came at the, the beginning of the season. Um, but just kind of wanted to get some of your thoughts on where, um, where UCLA is heading into, uh, this upcoming season and then more big picture. Yeah, I think the weird thing is UCLA just extended Chip Kelly. I think technically it was a four-year extension, but really it was only adding three years on top of the one year he had left. And then the buyout really goes away after the first two years of this deal. So even though they just extended their coach, it still feels like it's a very short-term program. They're not looking to the long-term, which is funny because – two years now they're going to be in a different conference and and who knows, maybe they have a different coach by then. So it's really hard to project out to the future. uh, Even though it feels like there are a lot of things set in place for the 2022 season, because UCLA gets back back Charbonnet and Dorian Thompson Robinson and uh, some of the key contributors over there on both sides of the ball to some extent. And and they bring back their head coach and play caller and the, the czar of the whole program. So you'd think that, with all that consistency, you would know what UCLA is going to be like moving forward. But even though you can kind of project things out to the 2022 season, say that, oh, maybe they go 9-3, there really isn't too much uh, good feeling around what they're going to be like in 2023 or 2025 or beyond. Yeah, and, and I think that that, uh, that uncertainty or a little bit of a, a cloudy future is what makes this move really interesting because – uh, we're faced with the the overarching question here: will, will UCLA ultimately be competitive in the Big Ten? Uh, and if I'm just giving my two cents, I feel more confident right now saying that on the hardwood with their basketball program, given the the recent highs that they've reached under Mick Cronin. Um, that is until you know the the my Zags knocked them off uh, when <laughs> when they played uh, a couple seasons ago. Um, I know that was two years ago, but um, I just wanted to bring that up because obviously those are my zags and I'm always uh, excited to see what they're doing. That was an unbelievable game, but oh, yeah. all, all that to say that I think there's more confidence on the hardwood. I, I don't know right now if I'm um, terribly confident right now, if uh, in UCLA being competitive with big 10 football programs, seeing that they, you know, 
didn't do anything super special in, in the Pac-12 last year and, and more recent years, like we said, coming off that 8-4 record. Yeah, I think 8-4 last year, maybe 9-3 this year, feels pretty good. Um, nothing groundbreaking, but I think because of the teams they beat and especially the teams they don't beat, as in the the great teams, the top tier of the conference, if UCLA is just just kind of cleaning up against the middle and lower tier Pac-12 and their relatively easy non-conference schedule – even going nine and three, which looks good on paper, won't really generate much buzz. We saw the same thing eight and four last year. A good chunk of UCLA fans felt pretty good at that, but you go around the country and you, you see who's talking about them, and it's still pretty quiet around this program. There are people in and around it who are hyped and feeling good, but you don't get that long-term buzz, that that feeling that the program's on the rise because they had this one season and they're probably going to have another that's above average. When you move to the Big Ten, you're going to be less competitive because either it'll be the the last year or two of Chip Kelly and that'll fizzle out, or by then they'll have a new coach who's starting from scratch. So at the beginning of their big 12 stint UCLA, I don't think is going to be very competitive at all, but I don't know. I think seven, five in this big 10 power conference would be better than going nine and three in the pac 12, assuming that the UCLA loses to, USC, Utah, and Oregon. If they're just cleaning up against Arizona and Colorado and they sweep their really crappy non-conference schedule a bunch of against a bunch of cream puffs, then 9-3 doesn't really mean that much. But if you go to the Big Ten and you're playing LSU and Auburn and Georgia and Michigan, and whether it's non-conference or conference, you have a 12-game schedule that's going to be packed from start to finish. And you're going to be in the, the East Coast media view a little bit more. You're going to be in the AP poll, even sometimes when you don't deserve it, as opposed to in the Pac-12 when you're not in the AP poll and you do deserve it. So there, there are a lot of different factors going on here that even though they might be less competitive relative to the rest of the conference, I think they'll kind of take a small step forward on the national stage. Yeah, and that's that's ultimately a big part of what's driving this move. Uh, you're talking about things like exposure, playing a, a better schedule, more quality opponents, but this is all a, a huge money grab. And I think that uh, it, it leads into some interesting discussion just about the the big picture uh, of college football and college athletics, which I want to get to. Um, but let me just uh, reference my show notes a little bit to to kind of slow down and, and make sure that we're staying on track with some of the topics that I, I kind of had in mind. Um, I already said that I was more confident in, uh, in you know, the basketball program. Uh, as they head east to the Big Ten and some of those big schools that they're playing, you know, your Purdue's, your Ohio State's, your Michigan's. Um, but just wanted to run that by you as far as just what you're more confident in um, and then kind of what UCLA's outlook is like in the Big Ten. Yeah, I think the Big Ten has been getting better um, over the past few years. I don't think they've had a national champion since Michigan. No, maybe Illinois. Some, some They haven't this century, I don't think, or the, 20 plus years since the big tens won a national championship, which similar to the PAC 12, they have competitive teams, but just don't put it together. But these past few years, I don't know, Illinois has, has won a few big 10 titles, been a one seed. Michigan's gone to final fours. Tom Izzo has taken Michigan state to final fours. Um, they, they are a growing conference when it comes to men's basketball, but also one that has solid brands already in place. And we haven't even talked about Indiana who is, 
probably a blue blood of kind of falling off fall, falling out of favor in the blue blood conversation but it's funny i think ucla joining the big 10 helps indiana kind of maintain that relevance because that's one of the matchups that i think could be a fun little rivalry the uh, bobby knight john wooden the of the history of those two programs either against each other or just independent of each other uh that'll be fun to watch illinois is a program that's getting better uh wisconsin the past decade's been really good iowa the past few years has produced a lot of high level talent there's a lot going on in the big 10 and ucla will be the biggest brand and the most successful historic program in that conference the second they get there uh, i think they have more national championships than the rest of the conference combined but it will be good and beneficial for all sides. I think UCLA will get to mix things up, play some new teams, uh, the Michigans, the Indianas, the Ohio States of the world, and those teams will get to come to Poly Pavilion and play a blue bud a couple times a year. So it'll be really interesting to see how that plays out. Obviously not as massively consequential as football in terms of the finances and non-conference and, and scheduling and playoffs but it'll just be kind of a fun change of pace at the very least. Yeah, and in the same way that UCLA joining the Big Ten elevates their profile with, with basketball, that's obviously a tremendous detriment to, to the Pac-12 and to schools like Oregon that uh, you know can have those, can point to some of those wins over uh, UCLA or uh, USC, those you know pretty pretty big programs. I mean, heck, that's what happened last year with the Ducks. The, the weirdest thing is that they would lose the – lose the easy games and then win the hard games. Like when they went on the road to, to LA and they, they beat UCLA, they beat USC both at home. And that was kind of really what was keeping their, their uh, NCAA tournament chances alive, their hopes alive. They're, they're not going to be able to do that anymore. Once, once you lose schools like USC and UCLA. So um, obviously that that's going to be a big, uh, big blow for PAC 12 football, but we're obviously going to see some of that carry over into to basketball, which I think is, is kind of swept under the rug a little bit um, in this conversation. Um, but I, I think that it's, it's going to be interesting to see some of these big 10 matchups on uh, the hardwood with, with UCLA getting there. Um, we've gotten some of your thoughts on just this move for, for UCLA, um, you know, how it's going to benefit them overall, but, and basketball is going to be in a great spot, but maybe football isn't, you know, totally there to, to be competitive uh, once they make it out there. But what's your, what's your um, kind of, you know, feeling on the reaction among UCLA fans? What, what are they kind of making of this move as they, they learn their, their fate uh, heading to the big 10? Cause I think a lot of, uh, a lot of PAC 12 fans are pretty upset at this move. But uh, if you're UCLA, I mean, you got to be kind of happy that you're in the mix here with the haves and have-nots and that kind of conversation. Yeah, definitely. I think, like I was saying, right off the bat, there was a lot of shock. Uh, and I would say most of the initial reaction was pretty positive. Just thinking, oh, we get to be one of the haves. We get to cash in on this this big media deal. We get to be part of the national conversation and and reinsert ourselves into that whole picture. Um, but as it went on, there were kind of the the detractors uh, in some sense, the people who were saying, oh, well, what does it mean for non-revenue sports, for Olympic sports? What does it mean for travel and for the student athletes? And I, I feel like a lot of that has been kind of um, addressed because the um, Martin Jarman, the athletic director at UCLA, has talked about how the big paycheck they're going to get, all the money they're going to get from this Big Ten media deal will help 
kind of ease the the logistical issues that they could face there and preserve those Olympic sports programs. So there were a lot of people worried about that, but for the most part, that seems to have been addressed and taken care of. And they seem to have thought that through. The other thing that people have issues with that I've talked to is uh, one, the, the PAC 12 traditionalists, the people who are all about the, the pageantry and history of, of college football and what's lost in moving away from your rivals and Cal and Stanford and Oregon and then in basketball with Arizona, um, people who are upset to see those matchups go. And then also people who, and I'm sure we'll touch on the future of the PAC 12 in a little bit, but who are upset that UCLA's departure is, could very well play a major part in the destruction of the PAC 12 in some capacity. So there are people who are PAC 12 fans who are upset at their own team for kind of, knocking over the first domino towards what could be the ultimate destruction of the conference or merging or whatever the future ends up being. Uh, And then there's people who just think that the conglomeration of college football is not great for the game. Uh, I know a lot of people uh, in UCLA circles who are college football fans, but not NFL fans. And I mean, LA didn't have an NFL team for a while. And now they have two and there are some people who are still kind of easing their way on board. There are a lot of people who just like the style of the college game more, the tradition, the regional aspects of it, and are afraid that that will kind of get lost when you're playing all these national games and you're not really holding the the rivalry with Stanford's band and with the Oregon student section or all these different things and are also worried about how that could affect the on-field product, how, all these coaches will kind of be like-minded like they are in the NFL instead of all the different uh, versions of offenses that you can get in college football right now with the power five and the group of five. Uh, But if you boil it all down to two mega conferences, which UCLA's move could kind of pave the way for, then you lose a lot of that. And there are people who can, who are concerned about that. I'm not totally sure about the validity of how many steps down the road it would take to get to that point, but there, there is some concern on that front too. And yeah, and a lot of you, a lot of good stuff there, Sam. I think that's part of the reason that this is such a polarizing move in the eyes of college sports fans and particularly those in the PAC 12. I think like we were saying, some, there's gotta be some people that are like, okay, Hey, this is the direction that college sports are going. Uh, you know, thank God we're in LA so we can kind of, um, you know, ride that into this new generation because like we've said, both UCLA and USC haven't, you know, had amazing on-field products in, in recent years yet. They're still being, you know, brought over to, to the Big Ten because of that media market and the reach that they have. Um, that's, you know, a driving factor here. But then you also have some of those those traditionalists, those people that that love the Pac-12, even though it's been an absolute embarrassment of a conference uh, for, for a while now. So I think it's... Uh, it's wild that we're here at this point in, in college sports and the fact that college football is driving it, I think kind of makes a case for why college football should be a separate entity from the NCAA, just with how much money they bring in because the NCAA tournament still makes a ton of money uh, year after year. And there's definitely a lot of a, uh, of, of appeal there. Um, but they yeah, those regional aspects versus the national aspects are another part of what I think makes the college game so special. Um, I think when you travel across the country and you get to see some of these new schools, uh, like when I went to Ohio state, I got to kind of immerse myself in, in that culture in Columbus and, you know, uh, you know, get, get some drinks with the fans out there and get their perspective on everything. 
Um, and then, you know, kind of the same goes for when I went down to LA and for that UCLA game, because Oregon and UCLA played each other last year, just getting to see kind of what it's like, the tailgate atmosphere, what kind of vibe the fans have. That's something that I think could could be at risk with how it's kind of getting nationalized. But at the same time, part of me feels like, you know, UCLA is still going to be UCLA and they're still going to have that vibe. And the same goes for Oregon. Yeah, I think it'll be interesting to see how it affects the individual campus cultures. Uh, I feel like at the very least for UCLA, where the team doesn't even play on campus and it's all about the historic Rose Bowl and these facilities and you're bringing USC along with you. I don't think there will be too much lost in terms of UCLA's culture, um, but you may start to see things kind of fade away with other programs who, without the LA teams there, are now getting less revenue from the conference and can invest in their teams less than they were before. And how does that impact game day festivities and tailgating and stadium renovations and travel budgets and their recruiting? And then how does that impact how good they are and who they play in non-conference? So uh, it'll probably impact other Pac-12 schools more than it would impact UCLA and USC. Um, but again, there is something to be lost in those those annual rivalries. Not that the UCLA-Oregon State game was always a real headliner or anything, but I mean, UCLA-Oregon or UCLA-Stanford or Cal, um, th- those were always really important. And then with what could happen next, who knows if Oregon and Washington get split up or something. That's always a great game too. Um, You might lose some of those, um, but I I have a good feeling that as these mega conferences start to take shape, they start to put together some non-conference games that are similar to how, oh, USC plays Notre Dame every year and something like that. Some, some more consistency in the non-conference to kind of keep those regional rivalries alive as the conferences go national. Yeah, that's a great idea as far as how they can maybe keep some of that continuity, keep some of those Pac-12 matchups that uh, um, that people that kept people coming back for more. That that made college football super entertaining, or was that oddball matchup that you know some random fan uh, you know in a small city was was looking for? Um, so I think that that's that they're going to have some options as far as you know how they can maybe mitigate some of. Uh, you know, the damages and the fallout that come from, from cutting ties with the PAC 12. But um, as we're seeing, this is all about money. So who's to say that they're going to, you know, be that, uh, you know, that good guy to, to kind of help swoop in there and, and keep some of these other programs relevant. Um, because I think that's a, a huge word in, in all of this uh, realignment craziness is, you know, who's relevant and who's going to stay relevant. Um, but also, it's not just the on-field product that that matters now. Now that's that's at, that's ultimately at stake. Yeah, I mean, you look at further discussions of who the Big Ten could add next, or the Pac-12 and the Big 12 merging, and how much each media market is valued. Oregon has been the probably the best team in the Pac-12 over the past ten years, 10, 10 plus years in some competition from from Stanford in that time, Utah these past couple of years a year or two of Washington and a little bit of, of USC success with Sam Darnold. But from the start of the Chip Kelly era to now, uh, the past 13 years, it's pretty safe to say that Oregon has been the best football team, the best football program in the conference since then. But being in Eugene and Portland versus LA media markets and all that kind of stuff, 
the big the Big Ten wants UCLA, who has not been half as good as Oregon on the field over the past decade plus. So that's the weird balance when it comes to well, the media negotiation is coming up and we have to have five of the top seven markets in the country to compete with the SEC. Um, so even though Oregon may be better than UCLA on the field over the past 15 years, uh, like you said, that's all that matters right now. It's, it's kind of a, a weird in-between period where eventually I think we'll get back to that. And, and from a singular fan perspective, it is always like that. But in this time where there's so much turnover and, and merging and realignment, the, the dollars and cents and the, the population centers do a lot of the talking. Yeah, and, and I think that what, what you said about, uh, you know, Oregon's been the, the premier football team in the Pac-12 for the past decade or so, yet they could find themselves on the outside looking in for the new Big Ten, the big 16, 18, whatever it ends up yeah. being, 20. Um, I, that doesn't sit right with a lot of Duck fans. It's like, well, what what was all that for? Well, I think what it was all for is that you just want to be the best team that you can be at the end of the day. But looking into the bigger picture of college football, that's kind of the direction that I think the, the conversation is taking. Um, you know, they, they won numerous Pac-12 titles. They, they went to the Rose Bowl. They, they've been bowl eligible, um, you know, for the most part in the past five or so years. 2016 was was a, a, a standout as just a, you know, kind of a, a little bit of a rock bottom of, of sorts recently. So I think that's why this doesn't sit right with a lot of Oregon fans. The fact that they've been the best product in the Pac-12 up until last year when Utah really showed that they're in that conversation as the, you know, we're here, we're arrived with, with Kyle Whittingham. I think that that frustrates people because you look at the markets uh, that are in consideration here. And I think other than Seattle, you're probably looking at the Bay area with, with Cal and Stanford. And if we're talking about markets that, that probably makes the most sense, especially if you're moving in pairs uh, and tying some people at the hip here um, with these realignment talks that, that, so it's, it's, it's frustrating. I think if you're an Oregon fan to, to maybe get leap, see yourself getting leapfrogged by a Stanford, a Stanford that has won the most national championships of, of any, you know, combined college athletic uh, department. Um, so I feel like they, they could be on the outside looking in and uh, it's just frustrating that it's not, it's more than the football product uh, that, that is at stake. And maybe the football product isn't being valued very much as it's kind of being nationalized. Yeah. Cause I, I think a lot of it is, the football product will change from year to year and these media deals are 12 years long or whatever they end up being. So the, these networks that are kind of behind this or the conferences that are looking to add are not exactly worried about what these programs have been the last 10 years, but what they will be in their first 10 years of being in this conference. So even though UCLA had uh, this past eight and four season and, probably two, three good years under Jim Mora. They haven't been very good in the past 20 years. So they haven't been to a Rose Bowl since 1998, but it's an LA market. They have these new facilities and they play in the Rose Bowl and all of these different factors that Big Ten and Fox and ESPN can say, oh, well, when they get here and they get this just big dump truck of money that we back up to Westwood, then they're going to be able to cruise from there. Oregon is a team that, from the Big Ten's perspective, doesn't bring as much money to the table, so each team would have to take a smaller cut or Oregon would have to agree to take less, which is just messy and just a disaster waiting to happen, in my opinion. I guess it could work, but there would definitely be some 
upset people in all different circles. Uh, but it's from that from that perspective, would Oregon get better as a program by joining the Big Ten, or would they get drowned out, or would they get less funding, or would they overlooked? Would they be too isolated? Because would they have to come with Washington? Would Washington go somewhere else? There, there are so many different factors uh, that they're mostly looking towards the future instead of like what you're saying, the, this whole push these past 20, 15, 10, five years for Oregon uh, to really establish themselves on the national stage. And it might fail due to all these things that are out of their control. Yeah, and I don't think that geographic isolation is really that big of a factor, in my opinion. Sure, you have the the logistics of traveling. Uh, I don't know if you've been to Eugene, but they don't make it easy to get to Eugene from just about anywhere. Uh, they, they do have a, a nice little direct from Los Angeles. But, um, you know, if you're looking at a lot of these teams that are going to be potentially traveling from the Big Ten, if, if Oregon does end up finding a new home there, um, it's not necessarily going to be easy to get them to travel to Eugene. But at the same time, let's be honest, Sam, you're only playing football once a week. So it's really yeah. not that bad. I mean, the NFL does it. Obviously there's going to be plenty of money, uh, you know, after these new rights and everything are, are signed and these new deals. So I don't think that it's going to be that hard, but that kind of lends itself to what we were talking about a little bit earlier in the discussion when you were talking about, you know, some of the Olympic sports and some of the smaller teams uh, that maybe play more often and, uh, you know, rely on some of those rivalries to, to keep some buzz around their respective programs. So I think it's definitely a factor to consider, but, not so much in the the college football aspect of it. Yeah, uh, definitely. Because, I mean, like you said, you play 12 regular season games a year and five of them on the road, six of them on the road. Um, And I guess you're bringing teams from other places, but uh, yeah, that, that shouldn't be a problem. It's just more of, I know there's a lot of um, internal legal discussions going on uh, in Oregon and in Washington about keeping schools paired together and, well, if if Oregon State's part of the equation, then the Big Ten probably won't want Oregon. And if Washington State and they won't want Washington, uh, all that kind of stuff going on, who knows if that'll get pushed through or not. I'm not an expert on the legislative system in uh, the Pacific Northwest myself, but <laughs> uh, it will definitely be interesting to see how that plays out, how the other schools going to the Big 12, if that ends up happening, Utah and Colorado and the Arizonas, if they go to the Big 12, and Oregon and Washington are left waiting and thinking they'd rather go to the Big Ten or stick it out in the Pac-12, and these other teams jump ship to the Big 12, they may be caught just kind of off guard and, and not really with a plan. But who knows? Maybe they're accounting for that. Maybe in that situation they would go to the Big Ten at a lower price tag. There's a lot of things that have to fall into place, and uh, you were talking about how you, you were talking about Irish breakdown and, and how Notre Dame plays a part in this and how the Big Ten probably wants to wait for them before they add anyone else or even look to potentially add anyone else. So there's a lot of talks right now, but personally, I think that this was such a monumental move that people are going to start to wait for the, the dust to settle, wait for the next big domino to fall before everything else kind of splits out and the other pieces get picked yeah all right well um it's it's certainly an ongoing discussion and and we don't have any finality right now no timeline to work with but we're that's why we're going to keep talking about it and, and doing shows like this uh i'm your host max torres talking with all bruins publisher sam Conan about uh where ucla kind of fits into this new big 10 picture and, and how this move 
Uh, could very well be the end of the Pac-12, but we're going to take a quick break. And uh, on the other side, we're going to talk more about how the Pac-12 got here and a little bit more focus on what Oregon's future looks like amid all this uncertainty. Stay with us. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Whether you're a world-class athlete or a podcaster like me, we all understand the importance of mental and physical well-being and proper recovery for top-notch performance. That's why I'm excited that Unified Healing is sponsoring this podcast. Unified Healing is a new and super innovative global network of wellness centers powered by Energy Enhancement System, or EE System. If you haven't heard of the EE System, you'll want to listen up. This technology promotes wellness, deep relaxation, purification, and rejuvenation. At hundreds of locations across the globe, access to a center is easy and affordable. Interested in experiencing the EE system technology for yourself? Go to unifiedhealing.com slash bluewire to learn more and find a center near you. That's unifydhealing.com slash bluewire. No material or testimonials on the Unified Healing website are intended to be viewed as medical advice or a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment and before undertaking a new healthcare regimen, including EE system. All right, welcome back to the Duck Dish Podcast. I'm your host, Max Torres. If you guys are watching live on YouTube at Oregon Football Max Torres, definitely make sure to smash that like and subscribe button. Hop in the comments and let us know what your thoughts are on this move for UCLA, for Oregon, uh, and um, just make sure you stay tuned in. Appreciate you guys that are here watching us live. Back with Sam. Sam, we did have a, uh, a comment that I wanted to, to get to. Um, we were talking a little bit earlier about, you know, kind of a little bit of the folks of the show. Is UCLA going to be competitive in the new Big Ten? And that's more so focusing on basketball and football. And when I say competitive, I kind of think it means, you know, being in contention for a conference title. But we have a comment here from Rick. Rick says, competitive, it depends on what you mean. UCLA should be with all of the other mediocre teams in the Big Ten. What, what's your take on this, Sam? Yeah, I think UCLA, no matter if they had seen the Pac-12 or if they go to the Big Ten, they're not going to be a college football playoff contender anytime. Uh, and, and even in this new Big Ten I think Michigan and Ohio State are uh, more daunting tasks for them to take care of than Utah and and Oregon and USC, who they've competed with closely over these past few years and, and kind of know very well. So I I don't think UCLA is going to compete for a Big Ten title anytime soon. 
in its first few years. A lot of it depends on who their next coach is. Um, because like, like I said, Chip Kelly got an extension, but who knows how long he's going to be in Westwood for. It could be two more years. It could be three more. But in their early days of the Big Ten, they are probably going to have a new coach. If they can have a big home run hire and, and really tap into recruiting and pull all these different Midwest guys in here to add to a Southern California base, then, yeah, they can be a 10-win team. And and depending on how divisions and how they do scheduling and all that shakes out, then maybe they can, they can sneak into a Big Ten championship game at some point in 2028 or 29. I don't really know. Um, but that's certainly a possibility. And I don't think there will ever be a year where they're the favorite in the Big Ten or that they're going to go to a college football playoff in this current uh, format if, if, it's, if they keep it at four. But they are somewhat on the same tier in terms of how competitive they are uh, with a Minnesota or a Wisconsin or an Iowa or, I mean, they're, they're better than Indiana and Maryland and Rutgers and, and Purdue. So they're better than the bottom tier. They're pretty solid, like, like Rick said. There are a lot of mediocre teams in the Big Ten, and UCLA will probably spend a decent chunk of time there maybe a year below a year above, but they, they'll, they'll be around. They'll make some noise, even if they aren't going to be the definitive favorite every year, like maybe USC could be. Mediocre is such a funny word to me because when I hear it, I think like, Oh, you know, whatever, like, you know, nothing special over there, but the way you just talked about it. And I feel like we're kind of on the same page. UCLA kind of projects as like a middle of the road, team in, in the big 10 which i think has a much more positive connotation um but yeah. but yeah i think that all those teams that you listed wisconsin iowa uh i think that those are definitely you know fair comparisons and uh i think if i'm ucla heading into the big 10 i just want to be competitive in those games against the big powers right you know the ohio states the michigan i don't think anyone's gonna necessarily expect them to to win the penn states to win those games, especially once they get there. And they very well could be hitting the reset button once they get there. If Chip Kelly is on his way out, which I think is another thing that makes the timing of this move so odd because last season we were talking and I think I remember reading some of your stuff when Chip did get extended and you were kind of saying like when, when it was up for discussion, you're like, I don't really think that they should stay with Chip Kelly. So it seems like UCLA is kind of on the up. Um, I know recruiting's gotten better for them. It looks like they're taking it more seriously in 2023. Uh, I know that a big portion of their 23 classes is is, uh, constructed with Southern California talent, uh, looking at guys like Trey Edwards and and Roderick Robinson, uh, linebacker and running back, respectively. I think that they're heading in the right direction. But um, I think just seeing where they fell in the the Pac-12 in recent years and then where they fall in these next two years, um, it it just makes it a kind of a a little bit of a head-scratcher as far as, you know, well, why would you go to the Big Ten if we're just focusing more on the on-field product, but again, it's like, you know, you ask that question, it's like, well, it's for the money. So I think that's where a lot of people were kind of seeing that the game's getting tainted. Yeah. I, I think definitely that, that it may kind of take off some Oregon fans. UCLA is considerably more valuable to the big 10 than Oregon, uh, which if you look at the on the field success and how many Pac-12 titles and Rose Bowl appearances, Oregon has in the last 15 years. Uh, should not even be a competition and it's not but it's it's reversed so it it is a little weird and annoying and uh, Oregon if they were to join the Big Ten would probably be also 
middle uh, upper middle of the road is the same as UCLA better than UCLA but not still not as good as the Ohio States and Michigan's and not as powerful and influential as those teams are so I think UCLA will I mean they were supposed to play Michigan this year um, but Michigan backed out of a non-conference game a couple years ago Um, so they'll get to finally get that matchup with Michigan in a couple years and it'll be interesting to see if they can compete and keep it as a normal looking non-embarrassing blowout type of game yeah they'll uh they'll get that non-con matchup uh one way or another i guess it'll be a conference matchup at, at that point um and it's interesting to kind of hear what you were saying as far as how oregon and, and ucla stack up if they were hypothetically both in the big 10 um because they both have some ammo for kind of reasons to be optimistic with oregon obviously getting that win over ohio state and ohio state being the giant in that conference uh you know for like ever pretty much all since I've been alive at least yeah. um, now I'm coming up on 25. So I know I haven't been around too, too long. Um, but then in a similar vein, UCLA got that one over LSU, which uh, kind of people have, were freaking out about last year, but then LSU kind of teetered off and, and wasn't uh, you know, the best team, but, um, but yeah, there, there's, there's reasons to, to believe that UCLA and Oregon could, could both certainly be competitive um, in, in the, in the big 10. But yeah, good point there from from Rick as far as you know competitive being a little bit subjective. So hopefully Sam and I were able to to shed a little bit of light on uh, where we're coming from when it comes to that discussion. Um, now, kind of another big picture question, Sam, that I wanted to get your thoughts on, pick your brain a little bit. So you you've been uh, around UCLA for a while. Uh, we kind of both got the, the these respective jobs covering these two teams right around the same time, more or less. You went to UCLA. My big question that I want us to dig into here is how did the Pac-12 get here? How did we get to the point where we're, we're losing the two of the biggest schools, two of those founding members uh, to the Big Ten, and then now you're in, we're in a place where the entire conference could be coming to an end as we know it um, with, with schools kind of releasing these statements like, oh, we're kind of committed to the Pac-12, we're doing what's best for us, but I, think, I don't think they mean anything. How did we get here? I think uh, number one on the most wanted list would have to be Larry Scott. Uh, he, he made a gamble 10 years ago, a little bit more uh, when it came to the media deal and kind of saying no or, or not further pursuing negotiations with ESPN when it came to the Pac-12 network and deciding to keep all the media rights in house. And that just totally flopped. Uh, not only did it cost them a lot of money and kind of the opportunity cost of the money that should have been coming in from elsewhere, they weren't able to make, but it also, it hindered how many eyeballs they could, they could get on their respective games, not just football. If you look at the baseball ratings on sec network or, or longhorn network or all these other ESPN channels or a big 10 network, even, which is owned mostly by Fox, just think about baseball or softball. They get pretty good ratings on that. Compare that to the baseball and softball games on the Pac-12 network nothing just just completely overshadows it and then you it, it's exponentially worse when it comes to football games which get would would do pretty well on big 10 network as, as opposed to pac-12 network which uh, you can't get if you have Verizon fios or direct tv or uh, all these different weird things where it's just so impossible to get people get frustrated by it they can't find it nationally it's not a brand at all so that really, really hurt, not only financially, but also in terms of just exposure. 
and how strong these brands can be. So you'll have college football fans who will know year in, year out, oh, Oregon's really good this year, or oh, this is a down year for them. I can't wait to see how this guy does. And oh, on game day, they're talking a lot about what this player could be next year and, and who their breakout defensive player is. But you don't get that because there's so much stuff kind of hidden from the public eye on Pac-12 networks and not really to these other channels that are kind of going out nationally to people in Atlanta and New York, Chicago, and and Philly and DC and Dallas. And yeah, college football is still very regional. And a lot of those people in those markets will mostly only care about the teams around them. But with how national college sports and college football especially is becoming, they are hearing more about schools and players from other parts of the country. And the Pac-12 has just been left out of that. There's a lot of talk every single year about the, the East Coast bias. And now they don't stay up late to watch our games. It's well, yeah, the time zones hurt, but I mean, it would be a little bit nicer if all the games were on at ESPN or Fox or a network that everyone did to get their hands on and watch and that these networks that are the bigger ones, the ESPNs and Foxes of the world were interested in talking about because they don't have any incentive to talk up the Pac-12 and kind of hype up a big UCLA-Utah game because it's not on their channel or it's on at 1030 and they know they aren't going to get ratings anyways. And all of these different things go back to Larry Scott and his decision to, to be a, a, a athletic conference, the media company in one, it was never going to work. It completely fell on its face. It's been failing for almost a decade now. And this is the end result of that. Yeah. I think get, getting the eyeballs is obviously a central part of, of the answer here to, to how the PAC 12 got here. The, the Pac-12 network, uh, while on the surface, you know, a very uh, intriguing idea, ultimately didn't come to fruition. I can't even tell you before I moved to Eugene how many times I was left scrambling for, you know, how can I watch the Ducks this weekend? Um, and the, the fact that they didn't really have, you know, a good partnership with some of these major TV providers. So, I you know, you have to find a stream online. Granted, streaming is kind of the, the way that everything's going. But at the end of the day, if you can't get people to watch your product, they were battling two things at the same time. You know, they had to get the on-field product to be more appealing. You know, the, the Pac-12 just kind of is known for cannibalizing on itself on a year-in and year-out basis. So not only was the on-field product not very appealing, those that did want to watch it couldn't watch it unless you were at the at the stadium that, that you know, Saturday night or whatever it was. So I think that that never got off the ground. They, I'm sure they got hammered by covid um, that was definitely mm-hmm. not something that, that was going to help them with everything with finances and with games getting canceled. Uh, the PAC 12 wasn't going to, did they get to, I, I'm kind of having a brain fart here. Were they ever at the point where they completely punted on the season? And then I think after the big 10 said they were going to do it, then the PAC 12 came around. That's kind of how it went, right? Yeah, pretty much. I know the, the big 12 and sec and maybe ACC too, all essentially started on time, maybe one week late. And then the Big Ten was a little bit after that. And the Pac-12 was just so behind on everything and and waiting for the Ivy League to make their call and the Big Ten to make their call and and waiting on all these other things and kind of scared to make a hard stance and just announce an official thing that they fell way behind. They only played – I mean, UCLA didn't miss a game and they still only played seven games that year. Did Oregon play five in the regular season or something like that in in 2020? They lose – and all of their ticket revenue, 
all their gate revenue because no one was there. But you also lose probably more than half of your your TV revenue, your media rights, because you cut it in half in terms of how many games are played, and then you trim off a little more because I, I bet those those companies, those networks weren't really looking to shell out a ton of money to games that are just starting in November and no one really cares about the, the season that's kind of detached from the rest of the country that nationally everyone knows, well, they're not playing enough games to go to the college football playoff. They don't really have any contenders at the top of the league to begin with. Why should I really care? I'm just going to watch Alabama and Michigan and Ohio State and Clemson. Yeah, and to and to, to finish up kind of what I was saying about how I think the Pac-12 got here, uh, you were touching on it a little bit um, earlier in the show, just about how Oregon had been the the top team in the conference, kind of uh, you know undeniably for the past couple of years, but after that, you didn't really have that much, and that's why I think now more than ever. Uh, not that it really matters, but you know, it, it, it begs the question, you know, not begs the question, but it drives home the point. A good USC is good for the PAC 12. There weren't multiple schools that were making the conference attractive. It was just Oregon. And, uh, even more recently that the ducks, you know, were playing a lot of really close games last year. So they, I don't even know as good as they were under Mario Cristobal, they weren't exciting. I don't think that they were a, a team that you had to watch this week because they didn't have the, the flashy offense that they've been known for. And, you know, part of that comes with just adapting to the game and, you know, finding a, a new strategy that works for you. But that's part of the reason I think that this uh, this new staff has a, a lot of people excited because they're hopefully going to lean into what made Oregon so special. So I feel like there's a lot of factors that contributed to the Pac-12 being where it's at. But Larry Scott, like you said, definitely public enemy number one. And then uh, that coupled with the, um, you know, just, you know, boring on-field play and not having too many teams to offer um, has a big part to do with it. And then, you know, people not staying up late for the games, I think, is is part of it. So you kind of have a little bit of a natural disadvantage with just timing. But uh, there's a lot of di- directions we can go with that. And I wanted to kind of... Um, I don't know if I'd call it pushing you out of your comfort zone, Sam, but I just wanted to have a, you know, a little bit of an Oregon focus here as we wind down on, on this latest episode of the Ducks Dish podcast. Appreciate you guys tuned in live for those of you guys that are here. Um, I want to pose the question and this will kind of have a couple other areas, but how does Oregon fit into the bigger picture in college football? Just to get you guys up to speed a little bit there, there was an update uh, that we had this morning uh, you know, we're trying to just you know cling on to any little bit of information that we can because it's pretty hard to come by um, with all this craziness. But John Willer of the Mercury News, the person who broke the story about UCLA and USC uh, heading out to the Big Ten, said that uh, he spoke with a source this morning and quote, "I'd be the source said I'd be stunned if Washington and Oregon go to the Big Ten. The Big Ten will sit back for two years." then try to get Notre Dame growing reality is the ducks and Huskies have to one, make it work in the pac 12 or two, join the big 12. So I think this is a, it's a tough, a tough time because a lot of Oregon fans and I understand where they're coming from, you know, like we've been saying here, like, you know, Oregon is attractive. They have the brand, they have the Nike, they have the good sports teams, but the Eugene and Portland market could uh, kind of be, um, you know, hampering them a little bit here in this discussion. And and maybe the growing reality is that they, they, uh, the big 12 might be their best option if they can't get into the big 10. Yeah. I think there's definitely a chance that they see that 
discussions with the Arizona schools and the mountain schools are developing pretty fast. And then they look at the big 10 and they, if you look at Wilner's report, will probably take two years before they take another step and wait for Notre Dame to make a move or announce their decision. If they join the ACC or the big 10 or stay independent, whatever it ends up being. So the big 10 staying pat for now, does Oregon really want to wait two whole years and just really try to stick out in the Pac-12 and see four more teams leave and just kind of be stuck there with the Washington schools, the Oregon schools, the Bay Area schools, and I don't know, they pull a few Mountain West schools. At that point, you're betting that you're hopefully going to be getting invited to the Big Ten at that point. But do you just cut your losses and go to the Big 12 now? That's definitely the safe play to, to join with everyone and essentially make this a merger because if the Bay Area schools and the Oregon State, Washington State are the only ones left, then there's not really going to be a Pac-12 anymore. So Oregon would really be destroying the Pac-12 as this final last uh, domino to fall over. But they may have to because the alternative is waiting and waiting and then be kind of left with their pants down and nothing else to do if they, if they try to really cling on to the Big Ten, which may not want them as much as Oregon wants to join them. Yeah, and it all goes back to what I was saying earlier about how Notre Dame is that next big domino, but I don't think a lot of people understand the leverage that Notre Dame has over the whole situation. They could do nothing, stay independent, and they would be you know just fine, um, I think, for, for a bit. But the, the direction that college football is headed, um, definitely you know, we're seeing that the, the priority is placed on the dollar. So what's so wild about this is that it hasn't even been a week, but we're talking about the, the waiting game and how we're looking at the future of the conference, all within such a and future of these schools, all within such a small timeline. And maybe the Big 12 merger makes the most sense. I think even if you go to the Big 12, that's, you know, um, I don't know, a bit of a disappointment, I think, given that once this news broke of, of UCLA and USC leaving, all out of working fans were Big Ten, Big Ten, Big Ten, but you can't stay in the Pac-12. You can't afford to. They're, you're not going to get wins in that conference um, that that help elevate your profile and that you know heighten your your chances of being in the playoff discussion. So I feel like if you were to join the Big Twelve, I I'm not saying that that's the best case scenario for Oregon because ideally you want to be in the Big Ten. I think that's my opinion where everything's going. But the Big 12 does give you good matchups with uh, with Baylor. I think that's definitely a, a one that sticks out the most if, if we're just looking at uh, the football side of things. I think Iowa State's kind of been a little bit on the up and up. Oklahoma State is is another one that stands out. And um, it just it's interesting to kind of evaluate what the floor is of the, the Big 12 compared to the Big 10 if we're just talking football. Yeah, if you're Oregon and your options are – join the big 12 now or wait two years and hope to get into the big 10. Then that second option has a much higher ceiling, but also a much lower floor. Cause if it doesn't work, then they're totally screwed. But if you go to the big 12 now, maybe only as high, but the floor is much, much higher than it would be otherwise where that the big 12 would survive. Personally, I don't think we're going to the two mega conferences idea that a lot of people have thrown out there anytime soon maybe 25 years from now that's where we are but in terms of the next decade i don't think that's that's where we're going to be heading so if oregon and washington and cal stanford arizona arizona state utah colorado if they all go to the big 12 
and you already have TCU, Baylor, Oklahoma State, Texas Tech, and and you got UCF and Cincinnati and BYU coming in. That's a conference that would not be as as good or or lucrative uh, as the new Big Ten or the SEC with Texas and Oklahoma, but it would be stable and it would be it would be comfortable and it would kind of preserve that little area of college football. It, it would keep Oregon from totally missing out and bottoming bottoming out and whiffing altogether. Probably the right move for them in terms of minimizing damage from this whole fallout. Yeah, and, and that's I think just over the the course of you know, when we've been talking and now that I'm kind of letting it marinate a little bit more, I don't think that that's what they want to do. But that might be their safest bet at this point. Exactly. Um, and, yeah. and maybe they go to the Big Twelve and then they they perform really well there and and they continue to elevate their their football program uh, going against the likes of of uh, Baylor and Oklahoma State. Um, with those being some of the uh, appealing matchups, and then some of the the schools that the Big Twelve is already adding with BYU, who they're who they're uh, set to play this year. I'm really excited for that game. Uh, and then you also have Cincinnati coming in, who went to their first playoff. Um, so I think that I definitely understand the the group of Oregon fans out there that that don't want to go to the Big Twelve, but you can, you can't risk waiting around too much if the Big Ten doesn't want to take you right now and kind of falling off the map with everything. So maybe what you do is you go to the Big Ten, sorry, the Big 12 for, for a couple of years. we got to rebrand all this stuff because all the bigs are, are really confusing. <laughs> the, num- the numbers are not working And out. the numbers don't match out. Yeah, Enough the with the numbers. Don't, they don't add up whatsoever. But basically what I'm trying to say is maybe you go to the Big 12 for a little bit, kind of as a bit of a trial run to see if they do end up going towards the the mega conference model, which um, you know, you're saying that you don't think they're headed that way. But if they do do that, and then the Big Ten and the SEC want to continue to grow. Maybe you play your tail off and then just try to make the right moves. And that's kind of your sales pitch um, to kind of be with the haves, be with the relevant uh, schools in terms of, of college football. But I feel like even though the Big 12 isn't as attractive of an option, it's definitely going to give you a lot more quality wins than the Pac-12 will. Um, and I think that maybe the longer this drags on, I feel like the longer we don't have an, an, a decision or announcement from Notre Dame, I think maybe we're headed towards more of that move with, with Oregon going to the Big 12 because you don't want to just not do anything and then, uh, you know, be be kind of left, you know, you know, uh, what was I going to say? God, I have these moments, Sam, where I just don't know what I'm saying. <laughs> so I appreciate the patience, but you just don't want to be uh, left out of the picture. Yeah, yeah, that's definitely the the last thing you want if you're any college football program. So, in in such a uncertain, unstable time, minimizing damage is really priority number one for a lot of these schools who don't control their own destiny. And Oregon is one of those schools, apparently. Yeah, and and I I can't help but feel for George Klyavkov a little bit because he just you know he's only been in the, the job for a year and he hasn't been able to you know get some of his big picture things implemented and, and now he's got all of this coming at him. So that's a little bit tough. We, we got some more comments that I want to, I want to bring up Uh duck green says Oregon would be top three in the big 10. And we just said B I G. So I'm assuming the big 10 is what we're talking about. Uh, and I'm assuming we're talking about football. Um, man. Yeah. That's a, that's a tough one, right? So you got Ohio state that you obviously have to compete with. And then Michigan was the top dog in the big 10 last year. And then you also have Penn, Penn State, which I think is is hopefully going to hit another gear under James Franklin. 
Uh, I, they've kind of been that school that's one quarterback away uh, for the longest time, even when they had Trace McSorley. And then you have Michigan State, which I think is a looming giant as well under Mel Tucker. Uh, you'll remember that they were kind of in the playoff conversation until kind of that home stretch last year. Uh, I think they were like 9-0 and or something. So they were really impressive. So uh, I don't know if I would say top three. I think that they would be in that discussion without a doubt. Um, I just feel like those schools that I mentioned, they're, they're a bit more established. And um, I don't know. I think the thing that would give me the biggest pause for Oregon is the stability of the quarterback position and kind of how they've been managing that historically, which is why I think that's a big area that this new staff can grow but also the trench talent specifically on the defensive line. I don't think that Oregon's defensive line um, right now is, is kind of poised to, to compete with the Big Ten at the level they need to. Are there good pieces in place? Yes, but they haven't been recruiting a defensive line at, at the level that they need to, and, and I think they know that. Yeah, I, I think I would probably put – let's say the Dan Lanning hire works perfectly and, and he sticks around for a decade plus – all the assistants are, are gurus and they recruit great, which which could very well happen. There are a lot of positive signs in that front for Oregon. I would say, I mean, Michigan fluctuates a lot. Michigan, before the, the Harbaugh era, was in a real down period. So that could happen again. Ohio State's always going to be number one, unless Michigan takes it from them. But Ohio State's never going to be lower than two. If Michigan has down period and Oregon gets to the level where they compete with the Penn States and Wisconsin's and uh, and Michigan states of the world, then yeah, there. If let's say Oregon came and joined with UCLA and USC in 2024, there are seasons where Oregon would be in the top three. It would probably happen, especially if this this transition period for Oregon worked out works out. But I mean, if you just look at who is the, the bigger program with a bigger brand and more recruiting power and, and more history uh, Penn state, Michigan, Ohio state, USC, you got, you have a lot of competition. So there are definitely times where they could be top three. Um, but I, I wouldn't say that they are, if a conference has a big three, I wouldn't exactly say Oregon is a staple of that. Yeah. And I'll say that right now, Oregon's lines of scrimmage are definitely stronger than USC's. Like that's oh, why I yeah. think a lot of people have a, a question mark around USC because they've kind of uh, just recruited the heck out of a lot of skill positions. Sam, I, I know we're uh, just about at the hour mark, but I think I, I had two more of these quick comments I was hoping to get to. How are you doing on time? Yeah, I'm good. Let's hit them. Okay, quick. Cool. Quick. Oh my God. <laughs> my words are just not functioning today. I apologize. <laughs> Um, I don't know if you ever have that where you like, you can't decide like between two words and then they kind of just mesh together and then yep, they come out. Definitely. That happens to me <laughs> way too often. Uh, but yeah, I want to get to Rick's comment here. Rick says Oregon has the most unique brand in college football and consistently draws one of the biggest viewerships on TV. Now they seem to be in no man's land. Yeah. I think that's where a lot of Oregon fans find themselves right now. And it's that kind of that tone of frustration because, what I think Rick's getting at here is that Oregon draws that big audience, but what are they looking for? The media market. So I feel like that's kind of coming in to hamper them, but maybe if, if Oregon's in these discussions, that's still something that they can use to, to their advantage that, you know, regardless of where we play across the country, the, the people are going to come watch them. And I think that that has to do with the history that they've developed recently, even though they're one of the younger teams, 
uh, you know, one of the younger powers in college football, seeing that they kind of just rose to relevancy as recently as like the nineties. So I think, yeah, I definitely hear where you're coming from, Rick. And uh, I think that the, their ability to draw those big crowds, those numbers is, is hopefully going to help them. But um, you know, like we said, with the market stuff that, that might uh, be the, you know, the final thing. Yeah. And I think I forget who tweeted out it was either Wilner or Kinzano or, or someone in the Pac-12 area talking about TV ratings. And uh, of the remaining Pac-12 schools, uh, none of them outside of Oregon had a combined viewership over the course of last football season that matched the Ohio State-Michigan game, which drew in 18 million viewers. Like Cal had two plus million and it's hard to get the Pac-12 network numbers. So that kind of complicates things too. But of the remaining Pac-12 schools, Oregon is definitely the biggest TV draw. But like we're talking about, Max, how big is the Portland market? Was the Ohio State factor of that last year, being able to play such a big team like that, obviously would help if they were in conference playing each other a lot. But how, how much of that do you credit to uh, Phil Knight and Nike and the, the current state of the program and how much of that is something that is a baseline reliable every year thing. There's, there's a lot of that, that, that is there with this Oregon program and, and Eugene, it's always going to be huge in that region of the country. Oregon's always going to be big ever since they rose to power. Like you said, late nineties, early two thousands, the Chip Kelly era kind of put them on the map even a little more, but there, there's just so many other factors there that make it tough to bet on them as a consistent hardline, 100% sure thing moving forward. Yeah. In terms of value, not in terms of how good they are. Cause I feel like from now on, they're going to, they're going to be good. Oregon, Oregon is a very good college football program. Yeah. Which is why I think a lot of people think, and I'm kind of in this boat too, that regardless of where Oregon ends up, like they're going to have a seat at the table. Like they're going to be one of those schools that you just can't leave out but maybe they're not there just yet um, as we're seeing some of these conference realignment dominoes fall. Uh, and then Ron says here, big 12 is the right move. Um, yeah. I think that I I'm being a little bit more swayed towards that as far as maybe being the more realistic goal, but the big 10 is like where you actually want to be. Uh, I think that we're kind of on the same, same wavelength with that, Sam. Um, yeah. But, uh, but yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll see how, how long, like, I, I think the biggest question then kind of becomes, since we were talking in uh, one of our last points about maybe you could do like a trial run in the in the Big Ten, Big 12, and then you can go to the Big Ten. If Oregon does end up in the Big 12, how long are they there for? What's that contract look like? Like, there's just so many more questions that kind of snowball their way uh, into the discussion here. Um, but I feel like Big 12 isn't, uh, isn't the most daunting future if that's where Oregon ends up going it's certainly a hell of a lot more attractive than the Pac-12 and whatever they're the Pac-12 right now and I think really whoever they're able to bring in uh if we do in fact see some of those Mountain West schools being added yeah definitely on the same page there Pac-12 in unless there's some miracle last second thing where they find a way to poach big 12 teams which doesn't look like it's going to happen the, the Pac-12 is on the way out and Oregon is probably better off cutting its losses going to the big 12 than crossing its fingers and praying for a big 10 invite sometime soon, which who knows if or when or how that could happen. 
Well, that's uh, Sam Conan of All Bruins, the Fan Nation site covering the UCLA Bruins, part of the Sports Illustrated Network. Uh, Sam, it's been great having you on, talking about uh, UCLA and getting some of your perspective, the fans' perspective, checking in on uh, what you guys are thinking uh, as far as heading to the Big Ten, and then obviously getting some Oregon discussion here. We always want to do that on the Ducks Day podcast about where things are at now with all this realignment craziness. But uh, Sam, where can people find more of you, more of your Bruins content? Yeah, you can follow me on Twitter at Sam Conan, uh, and then you can head on over to allbruins.com, check out the site, all UCLA content lead, and you can follow us on Twitter at si.allbruins or on Facebook at si underscore allbruins. So, um, yeah, that's where you can find me. All right. If you guys want to find more of me, you can follow me on Twitter at that name right there, at mtorres sports. Um, and then if you want to find more Oregon Ducks content, head on over to ducksdigest.com, doing a heavy emphasis on recruiting and football of late over there. And then if you guys are watching here live on YouTube at Oregon Football Max Taurus, definitely hit that like and subscribe button and also hit that notification bell so you don't miss out on future live shows. It's been great having everybody here for this episode of the Ducks Dish podcast. A big thank you to Sam for sharing some of his time and his perspective today. But that'll do it for us on this episode of the Ducks Dish podcast. Make sure you share it with your friends, family members, other Duck fans, and we will catch you guys in the next episode. This is the story of the one. As head of maintenance at a concert hall, he knows the show must always go on. That's why he works behind the scenes, ensuring every light is working, the HVAC is humming, and his facility shines. With Granger's supplies and solutions for every challenge he faces, plus 24-7 customer support, his venue never misses a beat. Call quickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done.